This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael here, and today I've got Rosemary Barnes on the line from Confidence Stages. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? Good morning. I'm great. I'm, and you? I am great for a very sunny day in Toronto, Ontario, which we get about six of those a year. So uh, it's a... I'm not being sarcastic. We actually get 12. Uh, but, 12. Uh, I know. Don't want to. Don't, don't, uh, don't overwhelm us with that figure. Ex- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so great to connect with you. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about Confidence Stages and some of the awesome work that you do with that organization. Confidence Stages was originally born out of what I saw was a need to teach people where confidence comes from, what it actually consists of, where to find it, and how to make it permanent. So it was going to be uh, me teaching people the core of confidence. The, The massive flaw in that theory was that people lacking confidence do not go out and sign up for confidence classes. Hmm. So I thought and thought and thought until my thinker was sore. And then I realized that the greatest fear of humankind uh, is either death or public speaking, depending on which one of those is your particular fear. So if I could train people to speak in public and enjoy the experience, all the while showing them how accomplishing that will create confidence in every area of their life, then I was able to uh, double whammy them. Uh, So confidence stages became supplying confidence uh, for you no matter what stage you are in or have to be on. And so public speaking became the mainstay of confidence stages, as well as all the books and whatnot that I write. But the, the point is that confidence on the stage is a hallmark moment when you can speak from stage in full confidence and enjoy this enjoy the process then you have discovered the core of your strengths to get you through that and once you can do that what else can you not do so that's why confidence stages exists is to uh, show people that What good is the most brilliant idea in the world if you can't share it well? And And the world is changing so quickly. It's at light speed and more. If we do not have the confidence to handle all the need, the constant need for reinvention and reassessment and new processes, if we don't have the confidence to speak in public about these brilliant ideas, they just remain a lovely idea in someone's head. And we can't have that. We need all the brilliance we can get these days and we need it shared well. It's an awesome, awesome way to put it. And you think about all of the things, the technology, the, you know, the types of food we eat, everything that we consume or have access to originally was an idea. Yes. And those people that created those products and services that we love and use on a daily basis 
if those people didn't have the confidence to talk about what they've come up with in a way that resonated with those that needed uh, to help out in order to make that thought a reality, uh, we would be missing out on so much. So when you say you know, get those, those stories out there, it makes such a huge difference when it happens because there are products and services that don't yet exist that potentially may never see the light of the day because someone didn't have the confidence to be able to present it in such a way to entice the audience to take action, to help out, fund it, whatever the case may be. And that, that saddens me because there's things that we use that didn't exist you know, over a decade ago that we wouldn't have thought of, but somebody did. And they were bold enough to be able to speak to the right people and convince them to take action on it. So it's, a, it's awesome that uh, your organization helps people be able to speak in an engaging way to entice audiences to act. So, I, and I'm sure, you know, you know, my story, you know, about, you know, my public speaking is I hated it when I was younger, but then um, chicken pox cured that. Uh, and you know, like, how in the world did chicken pox cure your fear okay. of speaking? We need to hear this story, Michael. I was 21 years old and I had to give a presentation in my business writing class at Walsh College in Troy, Michigan. And I came down with a chicken pox. Um, at 21 years of age, that's not good. Uh, no. it, it, I looked absolutely horrible. So I was quarantined for a week. And the week that I was in quarantine was the week that I was supposed to deliver my speech in my class. Now, even at that point, I was just, you know, beside myself because, you know, I was afraid of, you know, getting up in front of a crowd. There was only like 20 people in the class. So it wasn't a big room at all. But I was always, you know, fearful of public speaking. So, you know, I told the professor, hey, I'm quarantined. I can't give the speech. And he said, okay, well, when you get back, you can give it. So I prepared and I'm like, I, can't, I have to, this is a big part of my grade. I have to do this. I cannot um, not do this. So I prepared while I was off and I was ready to deliver the speech. So I walk into the classroom and the professor sees me. Now this is after I'm done with my quarantine and I looked just horrible. It, it was like a combination of 13 year old teenage acne um, after and with a 12 round boxing match where I got constantly punched in the face. So my, my whole face was swollen with, with acne looking things all over my face. So I looked, I looked horrible. So the professor took me outside of the hallway and he says, look, Mike, um, if you want, we can skip this. I'm, I'm even willing to say, I'll, I'll give you a passing grade on it so you don't have to do this. And I said, I've been preparing for this speech. I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I went up there and I gave my speech. And after I finished, I got a standing ovation in the class. Yay. And I'm thinking to myself, my speech wasn't that good. Why is everybody mm -hmm. clapping? But after the class, everybody came up to me and they said, you are so incredibly brave to get up in front of an audience looking like that <laughs> to give that speech. And from that day forward, my fear of public speaking ended. 
Yes. And it, you know, I, my hope is people don't have to come down with chicken pox as an adult to get past their fear, but it's, it's those things where you, you just get a little bit of confidence and, and believe in yourself and that message that you have to share with the world will get out there. It's, that's quite a story. Uh, here's the basis of confidence is knowing that you can navigate out of trouble, which you did. Confidence doesn't come from success after success after success. That sort of breeds something else. Uh, complacency is what comes to mind. Confidence is knowing that when something goes wrong in the course of events, you have the tools in your toolkit to pull out and still leave the day. Your case, you had the speech set up and the speech would have been the big, huge uh, boulder in your path, but you did it and you did it with mm, your charming, your charming <laughs> face that day. So you did more than just give the speech. Even though you had chicken pox, you dug into your bag of tricks and were able to pull it out and prove to yourself that you could do this no matter what. The same thing applies, for example, consider changing a tire on your car. Unless we have a flat tire, we never have the experience of changing that tire. And until we actually do it, we cannot know for sure that we can. Therefore, if you uh, extrapolate all that and take it to ridiculous lengths, here's what you get. You have to have navigated through trouble before to know that you can do so again. Confidence comes, uh, is, is the result of getting through tricky situations, of solving problems, of mastering dilemmas. That's confidence. Confidence is not shooting the ball into the basketball hoop from center court when no one is there. Yes, you can do that. You can do it 98% of the time. We, there's confidence. No, it's not. Confidence comes from getting that ball in the basket when there are other players around you trying to stop you. If you can do that, that's confidence. That's amazing description of it. And it, hopefully um, engages you know, the audience to, to recognize that they can give themselves the permission uh, to take that confident leap and accomplish whatever they want in life. There's so many things that we do on a daily basis that you know, we can do with our eyes closed, but at one point we, could, we couldn't do it. It started from walking. You know, That's right. And from that point, we, you know, we are creatures that can learn doesn't matter what age you are, you can learn things. Yes, it may take you longer depending on the complexity of what you're trying to learn, but you'll get it. You just have to believe in yourself and, and remind yourself of, of how much you've learned and, and what, what you can do. Well, and here's the beauty of public speaking is it every single technique, and there are a plethora of them, every single technique is completely learnable. There's nothing mysterious about giving brilliant public addresses. There is nothing mysterious about getting a yes to every time you uh, orchestrate a presentation. There's nothing mysterious about it. It's all broken down into completely learnable tools 
and uh, you learn them one at a time and you struggle through and you, you uh, master those demons, giving you more confidence that you can do so again. The, one, of the, one of the biggest problems that public speakers make is trying to cram too much information into too little time. You've heard this public speakers coming out saying, I have 45 minutes worth of material, but I've only got 20 minutes to give it to you, so I'm just going to talk fast. Have you ever heard that? I heard it uh, the last couple of days. I was at an HR conference, and they had nine-minute lightning rounds. And of the all the speakers that were there, one of them finished under nine minutes. The others all maxed out, and there were a couple couple speakers where you know the orchestra basically started to play. So, uh, and they all knew that going into it. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's I teach a system. Uh, <laughs> it's got a very fancy title. It's called Talk to the Hand, uh, wherein I describe that if you take your hand and go ahead, put it up so that you can see the palm facing you with your thumb up and your fingers slightly splayed, your thumb is your introduction. Your baby finger is your closing and your call to action. And in between, you're allowed three different topics. Index finger, middle finger, a ring finger, that's all you're allowed. No matter whether you've got nine minutes or 109 minutes, because that's all the human brain can hear and absorb before it becomes just a confused sea of information. And here's the thing, a confused mind does nothing. What you want is to leave your audience with one single, less than two, call to action step to do immediately so that it uh, underscores the information that you've just shared with them and it puts them in the control seat. Every speaker, they notice that when I pointed at the baby finger, I said it's your closing and your call to action. So many speakers forget that the audience is not just there to assume sponge position and absorb inform your information through the pores of their skin. That's not what a speaker is to do. A speaker needs to ignite emotions. A speaker needs to speak directly to the audience's top of mind problem. Speakers have to answer with them for every audience member, what's in it for me? And then the audience loves and needs and craves one single thing to do. If a speaker doesn't supply that nice ending, handing control back over to the audience members to take it and run with it, do this one thing, then they're not really going to buy into your premise because they have nothing to substantiate the information. Yeah, good colleague of mine, you know, talking about the confused mind, he likes to say, you know, confusion repels and clarity attracts. And if the audience is confused about your call to action, they're not going to, they're not going to take a step because they don't know what step to take. That's why you only give them one. Give people a choice. One, you can get away with two if you already have discussed something with this audience before. 
Three is right out. No one will do anything because that's too many choices and uh, the audience becomes a little insecure. One, one single fundamental call to action step to close every presentation. Sometimes, if you're, if you're trying to sell from stage, then that is an offer and you're inviting them to participate with you. That's the single action step is go sign on the line, go buy the book, go do whatever it is that I just asked you to do. That's, is your, it, that's the selling way. If it's, uh, if it's an information thing, I, I, for example, if, I'm, if I am a, a CEO of a corporation and I am changing a process and I am just simply letting everyone know that it's already happened and uh, we're going this way, then I'm not selling any, well, I'm persuading, but I'm not asking them to spend money there is still an action step. You can't tell people to go change this, 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 and the other, because nothing will happen. You give them, the first thing you have to do is blank. I'll meet with you again next week to let you know what else. Uh, speakers that speak so quickly and they fire hose their audience will not get the, the buy-in that they were hoping for because we become overwhelmed. If the speaker uh, is shoveling out information uh, at 60 miles an hour, then the audience is nothing but a, a, a passing glance out the window as the, as the speaker is roaring down the highway. The audience is the most important person in the room, not the speaker. The speakers that get up there to say, me, me, oh my, look at me, aren't I special, and all that in a bag of chips, will not get the same buy-in as the speaker who knows that their job is to answer the audience's questions, not simply spew information randomly. And that's crucial too, because most people will go see a speaker or they're going to an event and there's, you know, several speakers uh, listed, you know, they'll, they'll share the, the content of whatever that speaker is going to discuss. So people will already come uh, prepared to expect to receive something from that talk. And if it's a subject matter that is something you need help with, you're hopeful that that speaker is going to address it. And I love how you say, you know, that you know, the speaker needs to remind themselves that it's about the audience. It's not about them. We're here to serve and to share information that will make an impact on the audience's lives in whatever way it needs to happen. That's exactly right. Now consider what we have in an audience. We have a wide variety of people, even if it's all uh, individuals working in the finance industry, okay? They have something in common, but each one of those people learns differently. There are the three major learning styles that every speaker must address is, of course, uh, audible, what they can hear, visual, what they can see, and kinesthetic, what they can do. To this end, speakers speak. That's the auditory part. 
they <laughs> use PowerPoint as an excuse for being visual, but I will get into that later. Uh, so PowerPoint is meant to be the visual or props or some other means of showing the audience a picture because some people learn through pictures. Others need to do something, which is why many speakers hand out uh, fill in the blank things so that people can write. Now, I don't agree with that process. I think that's um, uh, not a great teaching technique, but it works for some people. So what I do though, is I hand out uh, something, some sort of piece of paper, because kinesthetic learners need to doodle or write. If you even say to people, I'm going to send you my entire presentation, you don't need to take notes. You will find a good portion of that audience still taking notes because that's how they learn. So speakers have to make a very conscious effort to reach at least those three, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic learners, plus we have to reach left brain and right brain thinking styles. Those are the five, five things every speaker must consider every time they get up to speak. And, I, and I've seen that and you just, you know, because I've you know, recently been to events where there were several speakers. I remember, and again, this was two days ago. I remember the speakers that gave me handouts with some information and I took notes on the mm -hmm. ones that, you know, talked about a subject matter. You know, I can go through my brain and remember faces, but if you said, okay, what was their name? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, mm, it's in my notes because I took notes, yes. but they're not memorable. And, and I think that's a, a key component is, you know, know your audience. And I think that's something that every, every speaker can do is unless it's literally a last second, please come talk at my event type of thing. But even then you can say, okay, I can do it. Tell me a little bit about the audience. Well, so you can the demographic. Be, Absolutely. And, and when you do that, then you can, you can tailor your speech to meet the needs of the audience. Don't just go up there and do a cookie cutter. That, that, no. that, that, that smells all the way to the back of the room. You know, we, it we, it, so it, that, that makes a big difference for sure. When, yes. When a speaker is preparing a presentation, they have to know who they're speaking to. Otherwise, it's a generic hum that reaches no one. The most important thing a speaker can do is know who they're speaking to and what their top of mind problem is. That sometimes requires substantial research, but it is job one for a speaker to reach those people in those chairs on that day. There's no such thing as a generic speech that can be effective. Yeah, you know, as a speaker, if you want to do something generic, then you know, go somewhere, record it in an empty room, um, and throw it up on YouTube, and you can use it for you know some some footage and sound clips for your your speaker reel if you need to. But it it doesn't serve anyone if you're if you're doing a, a cookie cutter approach. You know, and I, you know, I, I speak on, on burnout and, you know, workplace culture and, and a couple other subjects. And while, yes, I, I know, you know, what I want to talk about, but I still tailor it to 
who the audience is. So it resonates because people will do business or will pay attention to people that they know, like, and trust. If you can connect with them in a way that they know you understand you know, their industry, the challenges that they're facing, uh, the technology they use, whatever the case may be, they will pay attention a little bit more to what you have to say and your call to action will be more successful. Whether, even if you're not selling something from the stage and you're just saying, okay, take better care of yourself or you know, start doing more things in your life that you find enjoyable and, and quit using, I don't have enough time as an excuse, you know, th those types of things. So they leave and they, they have that in the back of their mind and they may actually follow through with some of it because you connected right. with them. And remember that we remember the last thing we heard best. So back to the talk to the hand system where the thumb is the introduction and the baby finger is your closing call to action. And then you've got the index, middle and ring finger. The ring finger is the most important part of the presentation. It's the last topic. It's the one you want them to remember best. The one in the middle, it connects the other two. And the first one had better be powerful. When people come out on the stage, uh, they presumably they will already have been introduced via an introduction that the speaker themselves wrote. Never leave your introduction in the hands of the MC. Uh, supply them with what you want them to say. And that includes the thank yous and all that sort of stuff. When a speaker gets up onto a platform to speak, time becomes their mortal enemy. As you were saying, in a nine minute presentation, uh, the orchestra starts to play. A professional speaker does not go over time ever at any cost, at any time, anywhere. We do not go over time. In fact, we aim to leave five free minutes as a gift for the audience. Never go over time. To that end, speakers waste a tremendous amount of time at the beginning of their presentations by coming out saying, thank you to the organizers for having me here. Thank you for coming. Uh, my plane was late, I lost my luggage. Nobody cares. Come out and make a bold statement or ask an engaging question, one that cannot be answered with yes or no. Come out and say, the world is made of green cheese. Do I have your attention? Come out and say, would you rather be a snail or a fish? I don't know in what occasion you would ever say that. But the point is that you either ask an engaging question right from the outset that's, that's going to lead them and then you're going to help them answer the question as you go through or make some bold, even slightly controversial statement and then proceed to talk about it throughout. Getting their attention from the first second you open your mouth is vital. Your thank yous, of course you're glad that the audience came. Hello, you wouldn't be speaking if they weren't, but they're just as glad to be there. Don't waste time thanking them. Thank them by giving them information. 
don't waste time with the, uh, the, the banal niceties. It really eats away at your time and we don't have any to spare. Get on with the job and make yourself seen and heard by being bold. And I love the fact that you say, you know, leave five minutes as a gift because it does a couple things uh, from my understanding. One, the organizers of the conference um, are going to be thrilled because typically somebody went over and all of a sudden you just gave the organizers five minutes back. And that's something that uh, they, they're very fond of and is good to use as, as a reference. You know, if you're speaking at other events, you, know, you can give you know, that you know, organizer's you know, contact information. They'll say, yes, you know, Rosemary was absolutely amazing. She finished you know, early. She was gracious with her time and did all of these things. For the audience as well, if you have a good, concise speech, you're leaving something there for the audience to want more. You know, they're like, they want more information and they're, they're, it's not that it was missing, but just they, they're craving it. They're like, I want to learn more about this. So then you are uh, obviously going to be sought after, you know, after your, your speech or it breaks or things like that. And that's why I always tell speakers is, you know, don't, you know, don't book that flight, you know, 10 minutes after your speech, please, you know, be, be available. And I see, I mean, literally, I, 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 you, you kind of look at the corner of the eye and you can see their luggage right by the stage, and they're going to jump off and, and fly out. And actually, one of the, one of the individuals that uh, spoke at this event um, had to catch you know, a, you know, a, a train ride, actually, back to another part of, of Ontario. And I thought, that's a lost opportunity um, mm-hmm. because they're like, thank you so much, and you know, out the door. And you know, people would have loved to have a conversation with, with the speaker and a photo or, you know, you know what, but it's, you know, so that's, there's those little subtle things that will differentiate you from other people that are, that are in the industry and you will become more recognizable and sought after just by doing those little nuances. Yes. Your talk may be absolutely amazing. You may be a great orator, but it's those little things that differentiate you from everybody else. Uh, the other thing that, that works terribly well is if you're going to take questions, uh, you do so before you close. The last voice you want ringing, them, the last sound you want ringing in their ears is your call to action, your one single step you want them to do. So if you're going to take questions, put it in, be, do your questions, and then close. The other thing that you do if you're going to do that is tell them I can take three questions or I have, I will take, we'll take five minutes for questions. And then if you don't get to all of them, here's what you do. I will be available in the lobby. If if I didn't get to your question, I will be available in the lobby under the grandfather clock for 30 minutes following the presentation. And then you close. You tell them exactly where you're going to be and exactly for how long, because that is viewed as fair. They have the information. They know if they want to talk to you, where to find you, and how long you've got. That gives you an out to to remove yourself if you wish, 
uh, saying my 30 minutes is up. I'm sorry, let's contact over Zoom or email or something. But it also uh, tells the audience exactly how long they've got with you. They appreciate the clarity very much of knowing you want to talk to them and you've given them some time. Uh, and if you can't get in, then we'll do it privately. But that's how you handle people wanting to speak with you after. Uh, but you do all of that before you close. You don't want the last voice, the last thing they hear to be saying, be, I'll be out in the lobby, you can talk to me then, thank you. Which is another thing that I have a problem with. Ending presentations by saying thank you. We do that because it's normal. And I swear some people do it to make sure the audience knows that they're done. Uh, if your presentation is so weak that that's what you do, you have to do is say thank you to make sure the audience knows you're finished, then you better find a different close, a different way of, of, of uh, releasing the audience. Uh, there are many better ways to do that. One of which, which never fails, never fails, after you've given them the call to action, you take a half a step backwards, put your legs together and bow slightly, nod your head slightly. It is a, it's a sure sign that you're done. It's a sure sign that it's time to applaud and it shows the audience that you are humble. The bow was originally created as a way to bear the back of your neck to your enemy showing you trusted them to not chop your head off. We don't know why we don't think of that in bowing today, but it is a sign of humility. It is a sign of approachability, and it is a sure-fired and very powerful way to make sure that the audience knows you're finished and you are grateful. It is so much more powerful than saying thank you because it has a deeper meaning to it. I love that because, and I've had other speakers, you know, and this was one, I, I'm trying to remember his name. He was actually at a, a conference in Toronto last year. And he said, one of the things that he does is he bows and, you know, he, he bows down. And then when he lifts up, he, he takes his two hands and he kind of lifts them up in the air, you know, palms to the sky mm -hmm. in, in a way where, he said, sometimes it incites people to want to stand up yes. um, because it's a, it's a visual cue to stand up. He said, that's why he, he coined it. It's like, this is the way you can always get a, a standing ovation for all your speeches. And that's right. It, and it, it's funny how, how the mind and visuals work. But I, I think one of the biggest things uh, that makes sense there is I love the fact that, you know, don't say thank you. Just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the humble bow and, and whatnot. Um, Again, you know, when you, you say thank you, you say thank you while they're applauding. And you, you stand there and you take that applause and you savor the moment. How many speakers have you ever seen that say thank you, immediately turn around and start packing up their gear or walk off the stage while the audience is still applauding? That is like slapping someone in the face. I'm applauding for you because I'm telling you I liked you and you're ignoring me. 
you are therefore negating my opinion of you. I'm saying thank you uh, and you are ignoring me. That's like saying to someone, I love your dress and them turning on their heel and walking away without saying a word. Yeah. Oh, it's these, again, it's these little cues that make such a huge, huge difference mm-hmm. in, in the quality of a speech and, and connecting with your audience and, and, and hammering home those, those points of, you know, differentiating your speech from the other speeches that that audience is going to hear that day or even that week. Uh, it just, it's, it's a game changer for, for sure. So Rosemary, go ahead. Sorry, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. The other thing that speakers are afraid of is silence. Somehow, uh, far too many speakers, a great many speakers, believe that if there's a second of silence, they must fill it with more blither or uh, or walking around or uh, something. But silence is a gift to the audience. Taking just a second, even two, gives the audience the opportunity to uh, grab the information and actually agree, assess it. Agree with it, disagree with it, consider it, and then boom, we're off again. Silence is a gift. Now, unfortunately, what happens then is you get a lot of speakers trying to insert silence artificially and they end up uh, like Captain Kirk on Star Trek, speaking in sausages. I think we should go down to the planet. Is, that's not the kind of, of silence I'm talking about. Silence must be active. The energy must continue through the silence, as if continuing a thought, but without speaking. Uh, otherwise, you get this great gaping hole of nothingness. So the energy is, has to continue through and the audience comes with you. And they have that, see, see, we already know our information. As speakers, we're fully aware of the message we want them to receive. We're fully aware of the, the value of, our, of the information we're giving them. But we forget that this may be the very first time others are hearing this, this news and they need a second. Give it to them. And when you do that, it it it's impactful, you know. And like with you know my story of of, of burnout and loss from a decade ago, you know, when I talk about it in, in public in, in, in speeches, you know, I share what happened, and then I wait, and then then I will put in basically a joke or something that's kind of funny that's associated to it. And it breaks it for a moment. You know, the audience is like, wow, that was an absolutely horrible thing. And then all of a sudden I have them laughing. Yes. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take you on a little journey. We're going to observe for a moment, but we're not going to stay there. Just like I didn't stay in that state. I, improve my life. I'm better. I'm thankful for everything that happened to me and, and moving forward from it. But it was a case of it, it broke it. And all of a sudden they, they, they just, just in a moment just had, you know, a, a bit of, of sadness, concern, 
to laughing. Yes. And, and all of a sudden you have a very alert and aware audience that's paying attention to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, a good speaker holds the audience's emotions in the palm of their hand. We must learn to be gentle with other people's emotions. We can send them on a nice ride, but it can't be a, it can't be a life and death experience. They didn't, they didn't come in to be scared to death or depressed or uh, so we have to respect and gently care for the audience's emotions. Uh, so if we're taking them down a dark path and adding tension and stress, we have to relieve it with the opposite of that, which is, as you say, laughter. Now that doesn't mean that all speakers have to be comedians, goodness sake, but it does mean the little quip here and there, or uh, just something to break the tension has to be inserted to get you back into telling them, but you're safe. You're still safe. I've got you. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, 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 it differentiates, you know, the, the good to the great speakers when it comes mm-hmm. to these skill sets. So Rosemary, I've absolutely enjoyed our, our conversation today. I've, I've taken so many notes just to improve my own speaking game for sure. And I'm, I know the audience that, that listens that, you know, also uh, does speaking. I, I certainly hope and trust that they will uh, have learned a lot uh, during our conversation today. So where can people find out more about you and the awesome work you're doing? Well, thank you for this opportunity, Michael. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, you can reach me at rbarnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, at confidentstages.com. My website is confidentstages.com. Type in Confident Stages, you will find me. And I would love to answer any questions that you've got. If I can be of service, then I am happy. Awesome. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So thank you so much again for, for being on the show. Appreciate you and for all the, the guidance and information you've provided. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for this opportunity. It has been my honor. Thank you so much. And until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.